listening to the best bits of the Breakfasters from 3RRR. You are listening to the Breakfasters podcast for the shortened week, September 25 to 28. We kick things off this week talking to Shoko about her fringe show, Absolutely Normal, and uh, some of the spooky things that have been happening there. Very interesting. Yes, and then we talked to Heather ben- Benbow from University of Melbourne about the German election results and the shocking rise of the far right there. And then we talked about what would happen if we won the lottery, whether we would tell anyone. Oh, it's a very, very good subject. We love it. Uh, you know what else is good? Talking about what happened on my tram journey. That was fun. <laughs> and also we got to chat to David Assel um, about his gigantuan book of words. Triple R, not for everyone, for anyone. Tune to Breakfasters here on Triple R with Jeff Geraldine and Sarah. As you just heard, it's Fringe Festival time. One of the performances you can catch is entitled Shoko. Absolutely normal. It's running until the 30th. The person behind it is the ventriloquist and comic Shoko Show Fukudai. She's joining us now. Welcome to Breakfast. Hi, good morning. You pronounced very well. Thank you very much. It's the hardest family name, isn't it? Yes. Well, well, I did my best. Shoko, you're the only fully trained professional performer performer of Raguko living yes. outside Japan. What's Raguko? Rakugo is a comic storytelling with 400 years of history. The easiest way to describe is, as you have a stand-up comedy, we have sit-down comedy in Japan. So we kneel on the stage and sit down and then tell funny stories. Ah. Yeah, that, that's and it. This is, and you play like various, all the different characters yes, and stuff. Yes, all by myself. Yes, that's like a, you know, like a stand-up comedy. Mm. But uh, I, we tell the stories and sometimes based on the real story, sometimes, you know, traditional 400 years of, you know, history stories. But I always arranged it to my way, quirky way and a crazy way. So I even added um, puppets handmade puppets oh. and do ventriloquism. And you got your training from a Ruguko master in London, is that right? What, yes. what, did, what did that involve? How did I you know. go about getting yeah. trained? Yes, that, you know, all the Ruguko performers trained in Japan, obviously. And But my master, I met my master when I was in Singapore. I used to be a radio presenter in Singapore. Oh. And I was interviewing him. And oh my goodness, so it's such an amazing performance. And I saw his live and oh, like, you know, hit me. Oh, that's it. That's what I want to do in my life. Oh, really? And then I asked him, can I be your protege? Because Rako performer has to have own master. <gasps> and when master accepted, and finally we can be professional Rako performer, of course, after training. But uh, he said, yes, you can do anything. Don't give up your life, whatever. Encourage me before I, I asked him. But when I asked him, can I be your protege? He said, no. Oh, no. <laughs> what? Why? I quit my full-time radio personality job and I said goodbye to my boyfriends. I gave up my <gasps> apartment. I was packing to fly to London. But he, he said, no, because you are a woman. The Rakugo is for men. And oh. you are not young. So you should marry to live in Japan. And uh, that's happy. So he was actually testing me. And you, if I have enough guts or, you know, because he can't give me the, such a traditional big name like a show Fukute. That's a really big name in Japan. And you can't be just an easily Rako performer. You have to, you know. Earn it. Really, yeah. So <laughs> and want it. He tested me and uh, okay. So I flew London Heathrow Airport one day before he was arriving. And I was waiting for him <gasps> with a, you know, the placard. I wrote, welcome to... Uh, London. 
And then he, you know, my master and the master's family saw me at the Heathrow airport. They were shocked. Really? You really came, really came to London? And he accepted me as a protege. <gasps> so and, how long did you have to study with him for? Uh, for three years. Um, usually, you know, we have to study in Japan, but uh, because he... He was flying to London, lived there, lived there as a cultural ambassador. He was sent by Japanese government as a cultural ambassador. Oh. So I decided to flew to London. Then, yeah, they started. Uh, and what sort of training do you do for three years? Yes, it's very different from the ordinary, ordinary record performer because other record performer train had to be trained like a, you know, we used uh, two props, mm-hmm. folding fan, sensu, and handkerchief. Yeah. And very simple, uh, like a miming. Using two props, we do anything, eating noodles or yeah. do things in all the miming <laughs> action and uh, how to, you know, the, how to act and how to tell the story. But, and also the drumming. And the most important things is read the master's mind. We have to serve the master. Master is everything. If master said, this is black, even the white, we have to say black. And uh, master... Before master asking tea or something, we have to serve tea for him. And then everything we have to guess what he wants. Wow. So that, that, those kind of training is actually most important. And did you learn how to be a ventriloquist with him as well? Was that no, separate? actually ventriloquist is I used to be a policewoman in Japan and I've trained. Sorry, what, what, what a life have you had? I know, I'm 120 years old. <laughs> Yes, um, I, I, I mastered it when I was you know, a policewoman because I used to teach traffic safety to children by yeah. ventriloquism. Oh, and then right. also I self-taught. I, I learned so much in London because London, you know, the ventriloquism from England. So yeah, okay. I, I also learned ventriloquism in London as well. And I used to perform at the comedy clubs and, you know, theatres, schools, street even, everywhere in London. So how has this translated in Australia? Has it been something that people have been um, into or surprised by? Yeah, I mean, you know, of course, if I tell as as same as, you know, Japanese style, yeah. it's a bit, you know, there, there'll be too much gap. Yeah. And uh, I have to be more come close to the audience. Mm-hmm. And uh, that's why I do the stand-up first. And next I do uh, ventriloquist comedy. And then the end, I will play some, you know, uh, comedy film explaining what's Rakugo like. And in the Rakugo story, I add lots of, you know, you know, Western jokes and my jokes and mm. Add you know ventriloquism and puppets yeah. and musics and it created a different way. Yeah. Yes. So I think it's uh, still funny and um, it's very funny. I think <laughs> even to Australia, <laughs> not just for Japanese. Yeah. You were telling us off air that um, this performance is actually haunted. I know. <laughs> I know. You know, actually, I went to the. Uh, um, I'm not the. The Catholic, but I went to the even church, St. Patrick, before the show start. You know, when we tell the ghost story in Japan, uh, we go to shrine or temple to pray for the, you know, uh, thank you for letting me tell this story and then, then thank you to the ghost or whatever. Um, but uh, there's no shrines and temples here. So where can I go? And I went to the St. Patrick Cathedral. Yeah. And I prayed, but 
I only had a five cents with me, and I because I used for I used for the car parking all the coins I, I used. So I put only five cents. That's why maybe that was so stingy. That's why my show was haunted, and I should go back. And then happened. Yes, um, when I was you know performing. Suddenly, door opened. No one's there, ah. and I have to make a joke about it. Oh, welcome! The ghost coming in now. You're welcome. Have a seat. And it happened also yesterday. Uh, somehow, my kimono. When I wear kimono, uh, this obi called you know like a belt. Mm-hmm. Suddenly, uh, like uh, came off and stripped. Oh God. <gasps> I didn't touch it, and also the microphone turned off. Did it? Did it? Oh, wow. So I have to go back to. <laughs> and there was pray. a slight whisper of, give me more money. Stinky. You're currently based in Melbourne. What's the difference between the comedy scene here and in Japan? Oh, it's quite different. In Japan, comedian, uh, maybe in a way, Sam, uh, has to be really. Uh, Close to the audience, you know, you need to have a trust. That's the same, mm-hmm. but more like a, you know, friendly way. Oh, I'm a nice, I'm a nice person. I'm not gonna hurt you. Don't worry. You can relax. I'm great. I'm funny. I'm safe. That it's kind of less a, intimidating. Yes. Yeah. And you, you don't, you know, you have to show safetyness. So, but over here, you can't be like a, you know, good girl. You know, I'm nice. Uh, yeah. Maybe in a character, the possible, but uh, I found that's big different. Yeah, yeah. you've really got to be. Oh, come out the front, you'll be right. Yeah, you'll be yeah, right. Yeah, more. I'm yeah, in more control. Yes. I know what's going yeah, on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That that's the difference. Mm. And uh, we don't uh, really talk to the audience. We actually we can't prohibit it. We can't on the stage. Uh, when I when I talk to the audience, when I went back to Japan, and then my master said, "No, you can't talk to the audience so ah. much in Japan." It's no much interruption, more like a one way. We yeah. talk, they listen. And yeah. are, there, are there many women in stand up comedy in Japan? Is it kind of. Um, yeah, nowadays. Yeah. In, yes, nowadays, more women uh, comedians in Japan. Mm. They're getting big, more like a character, though. Ah, yes. Okay. It's right. different from stand up comedy. They are and the playing characters. Mm. Yeah. Right. Ah, if you're brave enough to face the ghosts, the show is called <laughs> Shoko. <laughs> Absolutely normal. It's running until the 30th September as part of the Fringe Festival. You jump on the Fringe Festival website, you can find all the details. We've been talking to the person behind it, Shoko Shofukutai. Thanks so much for coming. (laughs) Thank you so much for having me. Sayonara. Free Triple R. You're listening to Breakfasters here on Triple R with Jeff Geraldine and Sarah. Germany's just had an election. You've probably heard about it in the news to talk about what's happened and what it means for Germany, Europe and the world. We're joined by Heather Benbow, Convener of German and European Studies at the University of Melbourne. Welcome to Breakfast. Good morning. At a superficial level, nothing has changed. Angela Merkel and the Christian Democrats will remain in power. Give us an idea what kind of leader Merkel has been to date. Well, she's sort of been a master of consensus politics, really. She's governed for three terms now, and for two of those terms, she's been in coalition with what in Australia would have been her arch enemy, the Social Democrats. So it's sort of akin to the Labor Party and the Liberal Party governing in coalition for two terms of government. So she's been really adept at 
absorbing ideas that have come from the Social Democrats who've been her junior partners in coalition. And over her three terms, she's really moved a lot more towards the centre, much to the chagrin of the sort of more right-wing elements in her party and especially the sister party, the Christian Social Union, which is the sort of Bavarian outshoot of her party, which is much more socially conservative. So she's really moved towards the centre, taking credit for social democrat uh, achievements like gay marriage, like a minimum wage that was introduced only recently in Germany. And this is now something that the social democrats are really upset about because they've gotten no credit for what they've done while they've been governing with her. Mm. The big shock, I guess, and the talking point that most people are taking away from this election is the performance of the party, the alternative for Germany. Now, who are they and what do they stand for? Yeah, they're a really uh, ugly grab bag of right-wingers pushing various uh, barrows, but what mostly unites them is a dislike for immigration. So not only are they reacting to the influx of more than a million refugees into Germany in the last two years, but some of them have also said they want negative immigration in Germany, which would be in Germany like signing their economic death warrant because it's a really ageing country and they need immigration and they need young people to keep their pension scheme afloat and various things. So they're quite ideological about immigration and that is the issue that really galvanises people and in that way they got a million new voters to turn out and vote for them as well as stealing a million votes from Merkel's Christian um, Christian Democrats party. So what's happening in Germany that has made people get on board um this party on the right of politics? Well, they started out as a party, the Alternative for Germany, started out as a party of protest against the politics of the EU. So Germany was involved in these sort of bailouts of Greece and other nations that uh, really suffered through the global financial crisis. And they started out as a protest at that and they were never hugely successful with that as their main agenda. And then they morphed into, with the refugee crisis, they morphed into a party of anti-immigration and Islamophobia, really. And that has been a very galvanising issue. And particularly in the former eastern parts of Germany, the parts that used to be the German Democratic Republic, which was East Communist East Germany, they did uh, twice as well there as they did in the West. So they got about 20% of the vote in the former East. Why is that? Um, interestingly, they stole votes from both left and right in the former East Germany. I think in East Germany there's a much stronger tradition since the fall of the wall 25-odd years ago uh, to vote for oppositional parties, to vote outside the mainstream party system. There's not as much of a feeling of indebtedness to the mainstream parties because German the German parties were more or less party, <laughs> was more or less <laughs> annihilated uh, at the end of the GDR. And so while a lot of people will vote for the party that has sort of emerged out of that, which is called the left party, there is a much greater tendency to feel disengaged from mainstream politics. Mm. And, of course, they're still a minority and don't have as much influence over mainstream politics and economically they're doing it a lot tougher than West Germany. We've seen far-right populist parties on the rise all across Europe, but there are specific connotations, I guess, of a far-right party emerging in Germany like this. What's the relationship 
between um, these people and, say, the traditions of National Socialism in Germany? That's a really interesting question and this is why, on the one hand, we might look and say, oh, okay, we know this sort of thing from One Nation and we know that there are far-right parties in most European countries and they seem to be in government in, in the US at the moment. But in Germany, this all has very particular connotations of the Nazi era and the alternative for Germany have had no qualms about sweeping away some of the taboos about how we discuss the Nazi era. So they've said things like leaders associated with the party have said things like the Holocaust Memorial in Berlin is a disgrace. Uh, we need to be able to be proud of our soldiers from the Wehrmacht in the Second World War. There have been things like that said, that which, which in Germany are really beyond the pale and very taboo and are not uttered by anyone in mainstream politics. But these people are now going to enter Parliament with more than 90 parliamentarians because it's a proportional system. So they got a chunk of the vote, they're going to get a chunk of the seats in Parliament. So that's quite scary for everyone in Germany because it changes the consensus around public discourse and how we talk about the Nazi past. Has the rise of the far right then um, created discontent around Angela, Angela Merkel herself? Are people kind of blaming her for what's happened here? The Social Democrats certainly are. So the new leader of the Social Democrats, Martin Schulz, has been really angry at her and has really attacked her for her consensus politics, which she's done together with his own party. Mm-hmm. So he's, if you like, trying to create a new oppositionist kind of politics in Germany again. He's saying that this consensus politics that's been carrying the day for Merkel's three terms has directly led to the rise of the far right. Now, on the right wing of Merkel's party, they're saying the reason this has happened is because we've got an open right flank. You know, we're not occupying as much of the right wing as we should anymore because we've moved to the centre on various issues. So there are going to be demands from left and right for a more extremist politics in Germany in general. Mm. Merkel famously allowed um, a large number, I think, as many as a million um, refugees into Germany. What is going to be the consequence of this election for attitudes to refugees in Germany? Well, this goes to the previous question as well, because even though there are calls from left and right for more extreme policies, the irony is that Merkel's going to have to enter another even more complicated coalition to govern this time. So she will be the Chancellor, but she's going to probably have to govern with two parties who've yet to say they're happy to do this, but it's the only option really. And that's a sort of a a neoliberal kind of libertarian party called the Free Democrats that are pro-business, but also very much in favour of sort of human rights and things. And the Greens, who obviously don't want to do anything that's more restrictive towards Germany's reasonably generous approach to refugees. But on the right of her party, there are going to be demands for Australian-style measures like camps outside of Germany, holding camps like policing the borders, all of that sort of thing. So it's going to be interesting days, but you are also going to have in Parliament well-resourced politicians putting up all sorts of Islamophobic and anti-immigration arguments. So Merkel had strangely managed to neutralise this issue of, as you said, a million refugees coming into Germany 
it seemed to be a non-issue for most of the campaign. It seemed to have mm. sort of worked. So she famously said when the refugees started arriving in their thousands at train stations, she famously said, we'll manage this. And she seemed to have managed it. But then the alternative for Germany with their constant campaigning on the issue and the Social Democrats, when they brought it into the main televised debate as an issue, have managed to sort of revive it. And it was then it determined the election outcome. So we're going to see a lot more discussion of it. I don't think it's going to be useful, constructive good discussion. And there's always been an anti-immigration sentiment in Germany. It's a country that's never properly understood itself as a destination for immigration. Uh, Merkel was held up around the world as a model for how refugee policy could be managed reasonably humanely. What do you think the implications across Europe and the world are going to be for this, um, this result? Well, in a sense, it's just a continuation of what we're seeing elsewhere. But I do think they're going to come up with a reasonably centrist approach to the issue still. I mean, those million refugees are there and they all, according to the German constitution, have a right to an individual appeal of their case, an individual hearing. So this is going to take many, many years to get through and process all these people. And in the meantime, they're there and... The crisis in the Middle East is not going away anytime soon. So I guess it will just be mostly as you were. And Germany is very constrained in what it can do about refugees because it's written into its constitution that it will be open to refugees since the Second World War. So I don't think we'll see drastic changes, but and in a sense, it has been a very successful model for the acceptance of large numbers of refugees. I mean, if we could imagine similar numbers coming to Australia, I don't think this country would deal with that very oh, well. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> Interesting times. We've been talking to Heather Benbow from the Convener of German and European Studies at the University of Melbourne. Thanks so much for joining us. Thank you. Three. Triple. You are listening to Breakfasters on Triple R. Uh, do you want to hear about my exciting tram ride? Yes, please. I do. Yeah, it was it was pretty great. I was catching the tram into the city um, last night to do my show. Please come along. Um, <laughs> it's a little, sweet little book. It's my show, seven thirty at the Imperial. Uh, but I, yeah, I was heading on the tram and um, get to the depot, and obviously, a new tram driver comes on. And uh, turns the mic on, good evening, everybody, um, and just a running commentary the whole way in. Awesome. Which was... A lot quite commentating on what where they were, what streets oh, you're at. Mate, everything. Oh, wow. And to begin with, <laughs> it was... Um, I think I had the wrong attitude, I'll be honest, to begin with. It was like, oh, shut up, just drop the tram, mate. your quote on Twitter was, kill me now. No, no. I said, sweet <laughs> Jesus, help us all. <laughs> uh, I didn't see this. <laughs> uh, because he, he just got on and started talking about his holiday. <laughs> oh, right. How weird. Awesome. Because, yeah. um, you know, the tram was going down Victoria Street. I think there was, it was a festival on or something. And he um, might have been like a, a Vietnamese festival, maybe. I, I feel because he was trying to talk, say something in Vietnamese as well. He was trying to say, um, he, he kept on saying, oh, I can't remember what he was saying, but he was essentially trying to say, go Tigers. Ah, oh, in Vietnamese. Then, yeah, in Vietnamese. So he would say something and then go, am I pronouncing that right? 
Am I pronouncing that right? And just waiting for someone on the tram to go yes or no. And and, would people respond to it? Uh, a lot of it, it, people would laugh. Yeah, right. Um, and I feel like they were laughing with him and that was fine. I just, I got on board, like, because he started talking about his holiday. Um, yeah, I think he spent some time in China with his beautiful wife. And I'm like, well, that's, that's delightful. He <laughs> 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 uh, spent two nights in Shanghai and, uh, you know, and it was, you know, it was great. Um, and then further along he started talking about the football and it was like, you know, the... The battle lines have been drawn between this is a game between Victoria and South Australia. So if you're Victorian, you'll be going for the Tigers, and we're all going for the Tigers. And then he tried to say, "Go Tigers!" and Vietnamese. And then Analogy goes, "I don't know if I've got the right go there. Whether it's you know, you know, go as in go over there, or go as in let's go, come on." Um, so it was just it was it was enjoyable to listen to. At what point did you go from? thinking this is annoying to just kind of going, I'm going to go with this. When he said the battle lines have been drawn. <laughs> <laughs> and I went, actually, you've got a really good, he's got a, he had a great voice as well. Like, it, yeah, you know, he was right. like, oh, you sound, it sounds like I could be listening to, you know, Grandstand on ABC. Oh, how lovely. You know, so I was like, oh, actually, this is, this is pretty cool. This is, this is enjoyable. Um, it's and a fine line, though, isn't it? It's a fine line between endearing, pleasure, and pain. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yes, yeah. But you know, quirky and and fun and just draining. <laughs> just yeah, put your yeah. eyes on the road and yeah. make sure the tram gets to where it's yeah. going. Come on, mate. Enough chatter. <laughs> I know there's no steering wheel, but put your hands <laughs> somewhere. Somewhere. Let's go. Uh, and then some. And then at one stage, someone tried to make a, a citizen arrest on the tram, and I have no idea. What are you idea. talking about? Yeah. I, well, Gosh. someone just someone got on the tram and just went up to this guy, and this is all. It all happened behind me. I have no idea what happened before, uh, whether he had a case to arrest this man or what on earth happened. But this guy um, just went up to this other guy and went. Uh, get down on the ground, I'm placing you under arrest. What? Yeah. And the guy's like, you, I haven't done nothing wrong. And he's like, I'm placing you, get down on the ground, I'm placing you under arrest. And this guy goes, you can't arrest me, dude. And then <laughs> and then he just got up and got off the tram. Oh, my God, I really want to know what led up to that. Which, one got, off, which one got off the The one who was supposed to be under arrest or the arresting one? No, the one that was supposed to be under arrest. Which one seemed less in touch <laughs> with, with reality? reality? <laughs> well, the one that was being arrested. Oh, okay. So it so, wasn't someone who was just like, like that. No, it got no, caught no. up in a. Yeah. Was someone who was yeah, caught up in a moment. Yeah, could go either way. Yeah, yeah. Because yeah. I feel that you know when um you you always say say things like and and you think why didn't anyone step in? Why didn't someone do something yes. about that? Yeah. But sometimes it's like I think people are a bit keen to step in. Too keen to yeah, step in. Yeah, and it's oh. like I don't think this anyone needs to step in on 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 this. And I I feel that maybe. That might have been an occasion like that. But like I said, I, I wasn't there. I didn't see it. I don't know um, what had happened. Later. But, the, but the guy that was trying to make the arrest, he was, you know, you're allowed to make a citizen arrest. Are you, though? I don't even know what the legality is around that. Well, I couldn't just go to Jeff. I'm going to citizen arrest you because you jaywalked. <laughs> yeah, you wrong. Yeah. I don't think I can. Like, what, at what point are you allowed to citizen arrest someone? Well, Isn't that just abducting them? No. I thought you were, but yeah, I just can't sure imagine any circumstances where it would actually be a good thing to do. No, yeah, but you exactly. could just abduct people or, you know, 
If well, I'm, no, that would be abduction. Okay. Like, you, get, like you don't oh, have to you take do them away. What do you do when you make a citizen arrest? Oh, anyone could a citizen arrest me for something they consider to me breaking the law. What about if I'm... But yeah, I suppose they they'd, they'd have to have some sort of reasonable belief that you actually had broken the law. Was jaywalking count yeah. as an arrest? I mean, I, arrest? I mean, you can do it. I'd, whether or not it, it would work, and it didn't work for this guy... <laughs> Like you get you know, down on the ground. Yeah. If someone's going to listen I'm to you. I'm placing you under arrest. Yeah, that's more like a SWAT team or something. Yeah. Look, this guy's watched too many movies. <laughs> yeah. He's trying to be a hero. But maybe he was being a hero and I don't know. I wanted to sit as an arrest someone. Last night I was on the tram coming home from the city and there was a woman sitting next to me and she had in her bag a whole packet of Tim Tams and she opened them and she ate seven Tim Tams <laughs> in three minutes. She was hungry. Seven Tim Tams. Next to me. Yeah. Next to me. Oh, you can't. And no. Oh, I don't know what she was doing. Oh, yeah. Sorry, that's oh, that's another level of you having to oh, listen to someone yeah. so, eat. Oh, it was a combination of that. Was, oh, seven. Maybe all... you're pissed off because you wouldn't give you one. Well, yeah. I, I, maybe she, if she'd given me one, I would have been less annoyed. I couldn't mm. believe it. I had to listen to her chewing. How loudly like, was she chomping? Is, like, just... No. <laughs> but then, like, so fast. I like, bet she wasn't. Stop I eating. Bet... Oh, she was. You know why? I think also she caught me looking at her because as soon as the tram cleared a little bit, she got up and moved from me to the seat across from me. So I think that maybe I was... What's such a good... Oh, no, I think to get away from me, I think that maybe I wasn't controlling my looks at her. You're lucky like, she didn't sit and arrest you. Tim Tams in three minutes. That, that's... Out of a packet. Yeah. <laughs> Chilling me. Like, take away the, you know... The... Take away your weird obsession with people's <laughs> noises. Yeah. That's still weird to eat. It is, isn't it? Like... I don't know. It was weird. <laughs> Just get the taste for them. You have one, you think it's nice? Have been another one. two minutes. That's too many. <laughs> Especially in public. Yeah, I know. Are you, would you be... Um, oh, I'm not a big Tim Tam. If it was... If it was Magnums. Magnums a bag yeah. of Magnums. <laughs> or pancetta. <laughs> Three, triple, ah. Oh. You're listening to Breakfasters. Uh, Jeff, earlier in, just before in the news, you talked about a woman that won a, what, $125,000 yeah. on and a she, scratchy. And she put the ticket in a Ziploc bag. And then she kept it for 15 days. Didn't tell anyone, didn't do anything, just sat on it for two weeks and a bit. Which I find such a strange thing to do. But I also find it, think that she's incredibly intelligent for doing that. Really? Why? Because there's no, you just kind of just take it all in and, you know, you don't react and do, buy silly things and, you know, tell all your relatives and then your relatives go, yeah, I've got to get some. money. How yeah. much money was it? That was $125,000. So that's, that's not, that's not, you American know, dollars. It's, not, it's not 54 million. It's not yeah, one of those yeah. no, ones no, no. as well. So I guess you don't want to go and splurge too much. Yeah. Because it's one of those things where, you know, it's 120, it's an amount where you think, okay, it's like, it's not... Not nothing, though. I yeah, mean, it's, it's not deal. nothing. Mate, I'll take 10 bucks at the moment. Yeah. <laughs> and it's so you think, okay, what am I? What I think it's great to spend two weeks thinking about what you're going to do with it. Um, but I do like your idea of just making one splurge. Yeah, I think that if you won money, no matter how much, it'd be nice to choose something to do on one day with it that you wouldn't, you're probably not going to repeat because maybe you're going to invest the $100,000 or pay off your mortgage mm. or whatever it might be, but just do one really awesome thing or buy one really awesome thing that just makes you feel like a rich person for a day. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. Because as soon as you started investing and going to financial advisors, it would yeah. sort of take all the fun out of totally, it. Totally, yeah. You wouldn't be able to have that kind of, oh, I'll never be able to do this, like buy a pair of Yeezys or uh, go to a really fancy restaurant and have 
a degustation that costs $2,000. Bring me one of everything. Yeah. Oh, you would do. <laughs> would do. Yeah. Keep to, it coming. Go to Vic Street. Would you? One of everything. Would you, like that dinner, would you just go on your own? Nah, that's not That's no fun. That takes someone. Oh, well, yeah, that's a, she didn't tell anyone, so you would have, you'd have to tell at least someone, wouldn't you? Or I'd just say, "Hey, I'm just gonna. I'm a really good friend. I'm taking you out for your birthday," and then your friends think you're awesome. <laughs> that's a good idea. Imagine that. You don't even tell them the wine. They just think that you'll spend two thousand dollars on a degustation. I just do yeah, this all the time. Would... <laughs> it's just any moment I might just take you out for a degustation. But what if I took you out and I spent two thousand dollars on you? Oh, I what... think something was sus. Yeah. 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 What do you want? What do you? <laughs> <laughs> what do you? What after? have I got that you need? <laughs> yeah. What's going on here? Um, uh, what, what else could you splurge on then? I think I'd I'd book in um, a holiday, maybe to go like to some theme park. I'd book a theme oh. park holiday. Would you Would you tell people? Would you keep it to yourself? Um, theme that, parks are more fun with someone. Oh yeah, definitely take. Oh, I'm hoping Kath would come with me, um, but I'd I'd book it, yeah. And it, it, I'd do something where I'd book it in so I, I wouldn't go out and do it straight away. It'd be, it would be something to look forward like a to. Like future surprise. Yeah. Oh, I like that. Yeah. It'll be like, okay, you know. And on the day that I'm, you know, so maybe I'll book in the holiday to go to like um, Disneyland or something also like, like that. Also like an overseas trip. I was thinking, oh, you know, yeah, movie or world even, on the Gold Coast. Yeah, could do that as well. Um, depending on how much I won. Yeah. I guess. Yeah, yeah. But if we're saying 120, I'm going to stick with 120 because it's got limits. Okay, let's you go. Can't yeah, overseas. Yeah, yeah. All right, 120. Yeah, you're right. I'll go to. The, I'll go. To, I'll get the three park super pass. Perfect. And book in, book in, and have that, and like do that for like two, you know, in two weeks time. So you just go out for a yes. weekend, and then you know don't don't say anything, and then that's the day that I tell everyone. <gasps> right. By the way, of one big. Cha-ching. I reckon you book business class and you sit on oh, you sit in yes. business class and at that moment you turn around you get a glass of champagne and you've got some news. Yes, yes, because yes. that's totally true. It's the only time in your life you ever get to go in business yeah. class. But if I, I, I would like, I, I would tell Kath that we're going away this weekend. Yeah, like just not tell know. her where, and they get a limo to pick you up. Yes, it's alright. I've got I've got a lift for us. I think I'd go on business class, but I'd try and do it with the plane not actually leaving the ground. Just, just, just go, maybe you could pay them just to roll around the airport yeah, for a while. I hate flying, but I would like to be the person well, in the business you, class. Why don't you book a cruise or something like that? Yeah, but I'd still you like to sit in that. business class. You could yeah. do a business, I'm sure there's a business class cruise. Yeah, first class. Yeah. First class. I'd just go in there. I'd, you know, they give you the glass of champagne when you sit down. Yeah. I'd neck that and then I'd race out the plane again. My, my, my work is such a waste of money. Bar, yeah. <laughs> But I want to, I want to sit in that business class seat just once. Maybe you could buy a um, a bottle of champagne and a box of Magnums and just sit at home. Oh, oh. yeah. And just make sure you're in a really big armchair so it yeah. feels like business class. It sounds so awesome. It's <laughs> <laughs> the best idea. It actually does. I might do it? that tonight. <laughs> Hey, if you've got, um, you want to send us a text, zero four double six nine eight one zero two seven. what would you do if you've just won 125? Can't tell anyone. What's the one thing that you splurge on? Um, Someone should... texted us and said that they feel sorry for you because in, in, in Geraldine's stand-up, <laughs> I don't know if you've seen her most recent show, but she does tell a story about 
uh, not getting into a theme park as a kid and oh, someone yeah. remembers it and thinks that you're still hanging on to that memory. So <laughs> now you can... Right. I think, yes, absolutely. This is when, um, I, I've talked about this before, when um, Dad, when we went to Wonderland in Sydney, um, doesn't exist anymore, but uh, we went there and we got all the way there and then Dad realised that the vouchers that he had weren't for free tickets, they were just discounts. And so he said, all right, everyone... Everyone back in the car, and then we <laughs> had to drive all the way back. So sad. It's like an hour and a half drive, and I've never been yeah, so what? excited. Maybe you could replicate that if you did win the lottery. Replicate it with all your brothers and sisters and your dad. But it couldn't be Wonderland; it'd have to be something else. And you could yeah. all get in a minivan again. You could just pay for it to. Yeah, and then you could pull out wads of cash. Yes, it's on yeah. me. You get, the, you get the happy ending, and everyone gets rid of the trauma. Or I just get to the, to the gate and go, oh, so I've only got enough for one ticket. See ya. <laughs> and then go in and enjoy it on my own. And then, nah, I'd go back out, get everyone else in. It's all right. You're listening to a podcast from Community Radio 3 RRR in Melbourne, Australia. You're tuned to Breakfast is here on Triple R with Jeff Geraldine and Sarah. David Assel is a longtime friend of Triple R. You'll know him from TV's Letters and Numbers and ABC TV's News Breakfast, various other places. He's also written a new book entitled The Gargantuan Book of Words. Out through Alan Unwin, he's joining us now in the studio. Welcome to Breakfasters. Good day, Brick. Yeah, thanks very much, Jeff. It's a great pleasure to have you here. This is a book written for, as it says, wordy whiz kids. Were you a wordy whiz kid? Did you, someone, did you develop your love for words at a young age? I was insufferable. <laughs> <laughs> Just have to ask mum. I was that uh, like a little riddle bot um, and you'd, I didn't uh, need too many buttons being pushed till I was just wheeling out those drizzly bears and the windscreen vipers and just enough already. <laughs> <laughs> so who, what age group is this book intended for? At late primary. But really, if a kid has a, a bent for words, uh, then I wouldn't rule out, um, you know, sort of seven or eight year old getting you know, stuck into a, a book like this. It was the kind of book that I wished that was around when I was a kid. There were lots of riddle books and pretty naff puzzle books, but um, this hopefully transcends that those both those categories <laughs> with a whole lot of um, just innovative, cool puzzles, word stories and riddles and quizzes, all that. For parents who may be thinking about um, buying a book like this for their kids, are words and puzzles like puzzles and these kind of word games, are they kind of a, a gateway drug for kids? I mean, do they lead them <laughs> on to, you know, can you say this is educational? Yes, you can, Jeff, you oh, can. Uh, well, only only that uh, it's – the thing is with, uh, with wordplay, what's really beautiful about it is that it actually gives licence to kids to think about language in a much more kind of creative and kind of plastic way, that it can be moulded, it's reshaped for evil and wonderful purposes. And I just think that grammar and all the sort of syntax drill just bleeds the fun and life out of language. So I think, uh, yeah, it is a gateway drug, this whole idea of uh, wordplay, because it makes you realise that you can be creative using that same boring grey stuff that the teacher's trying to feed you. Is this, what, is this your way of challenging the popularity of Sudoku? <laughs> <laughs> I, actually, Sarah, I don't mind the old Sudoku oh. because it's, uh, it, you know, what the other thing too about puzzles, it actually just creates this beautiful little moment of focus. And that's the other thing that's kind of uh, under threat at the moment with um, just we're not just multitasking we're kind of multi-slacking so it's kind of nice that whether it's Sudoku whether it's uh, you know just some little riddle or word puzzle that you can 
feel this kind of silence just descend over you. It's this is like feeling. a step up from colouring in. <laughs> yeah, it is. That's right. It's colouring in but with letters. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> 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 so how do you go about putting a book like this together? I mean, where do you compile all of these puzzles from? Do you write them yourself? Yeah, oh. I do. And look, it's just uh, I, I fix a tap to the uh, to my frontal lobe and I just switch it on and just turn it on because really my head is just like some kind of uh, freaky circus of uh, alphabet, um, you, know, uh, <laughs> a tro- you know, kind of uh, aberration. I just even uh, I mean your names. I just look at your names and I just can't help but play with them. Sorry to do this to you, but no, go ahead. Um, <laughs> this is great. We love attention. <laughs> well, you know, <laughs> you, you're pugilistic, Jeff. You know that because uh, you've got spar in a row, which are two synonyms beside each other um, to fight, to spar, and to yeah, row. Well, and then you've got I'm a fighter, not a lover. Yeah, well, that's but you're also a very sweet little bird too, Sparrow. So there's something that's <laughs> quite paradoxical. And a lover and a fighter. <laughs> Sweet little bird. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, and in the same league as Ryan Gosling, because you think about, you know, Gosling, you can break that up into Go and Sling, which are both kind of quite aggressive, uh, and yet Gosling, beautiful little bird. So I think he is your actual uh, kind of uh, separated at birth, Ryan Yeah, I, I get that a lot. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Geraldine, yeah, honestly, like you, you have got incredible letters. Has anyone ever said that to you? <laughs> Uh, I, I've told myself that many times. <laughs> Not only is your first name and anagram realigned, mm-hmm. but when you realign Geraldine, you get need a girl. And what do you need a girl for? You need a girl for love, passion and a <gasps> hickey. Uh, also, mm. there's this idea that what is a <laughs> yes, hickey? Yes, she does. It's just, <laughs> it's just general id. Um, I just think that's perfect. And also, your 15 letters, you're the ideal length to span a crossword. So um, you just need... Uh, like one kind of scandal to make your name completely household uh, friendly, you're going in one across. I, I have to now. do a scandal? Scandal. That's the only thing that's going to make it, I think, for, for most people. All right. I'll work on it. Keep thinking. Mm. Are you one of those people that drives around looking at the back of number plates on cars and rearranging the words and making them into sentences? You can do so many things with number plates, Sarah. It's, uh, by the way, you're, you know, shit ashram. So if- <laughs> Am I really shit ashram? <laughs> Which is why meditation has never worked for you. (laughs) Shit, Ashram. (laughs) And you're so close to Marsh Tit as well, which would actually (laughs) absolutely delight the the bird guy. No, number plates, I look at them, I start to think of um, what words uh, fit that consecutive cluster, what is the shortest word with those letters in that order, Uh, what is an acronym I can come up using those letters, can I invent a question surreptitiously for those in the car and ask that question using those initials. It's um, And meanwhile, I miss my turn-off. I mean, that's the problem. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Kids today have all kinds of entertainment options, you know, video games and TV and stuff. Where do do word games... Puzzles, but kind of old-fashioned form of entertainment. Where do they fit in? Can yeah. you still get kids fascinated by it? I noticed my publishers uh, really pushed this book by saying, screen-free. Um, <laughs> yeah, like saying, having said that, I've been playing this Word app, you know, in the cafe across the road for the last 20 minutes. So I, I think the fact that we've got so digital and, you know, plugged in with uh, screens and tablets, it doesn't endanger the word puzzle. It probably makes it more dynamic. But this book, being a book, is old school. It's that kind of backseat, shut up, look at this. Uh, it's not a storybook. It's a book that's kind of hopefully will completely 
you know, engrossed, but which a kid who's got any kind of uh, alphabetical bent to to get lost in all the sorts of uh, mazes and tangents that... Uh, yeah, this is great for a road trip. It's a road trip book, Geraldine. Yeah. Have you got any of the questions from there that you could maybe try out on us? We're all pretty bad at these sorts of things. Okay, well, look... I, well, you say it was for primary school students. So let's try this one. Uh, Why are you putting me in this position? <laughs> <laughs> okay, now, tree, trees have... Um, part, there are parts of trees that sound like parts of the bodies, and I'm thinking of, of limb and trunk. You know, we have limbs and trunks, but what two types of trees are also parts of the body? There you go. This oh, is where we usually geez. get prizes out. And <laughs> a type of tree, tree that's also a, a part of the body. Is that essentially what we're getting at? Yeah, that's it. A type a of... gum. Yes! Oh, a gum. yes, you've got a gum. Yeah, yeah well I'm done. As smart as a primary school kid. <laughs> Jeremy, oh, I need another one. Oh, I need another one. Oh, it's going to be too much silent thinking. Uh, thinking music. The other one ends in M as well, and it's a palm tree. Ah, ah you see. Thank you and, for uh, that clue. And you know that ah, <laughs> it's well, you know, it's, it, we're in the house of R's. The R is is the reason that uh, you love word puzzles. So, I mean, stories give you a, a a different kind of buzz, but when you feel that kind of penny drop and that uh, last jigsaw piece click it is a euphoric feeling it, it was very satisfying even though i didn't yeah. come up with either of those <laughs> <laughs> so when you're around kids like is there a particular type of kid that you sort of look at and think yeah that's one of my people uh i well i go to lots of schools uh all the time and the uh, it doesn't take too much you know i'm not this is not ticket stuff to when you sort of start throwing riddles and, and gum and palm kind of uh, conundrums at kids most kids are on board because this is licensed to be um, naughty, mischievous, uh, and think about um, not just what words, uh, how words are spelt, but all the ways that uh, you know you can look at words differently, and that's it's pretty exciting for a kid. So most kids uh, get it, and uh, their eyes light up. What is your favourite word in the whole world? Oh, it's so hard to choose. It's so <laughs> hard to choose. But oh, look, I am on record as saying my favourite word is acrobat. And, and uh, why? Well, the, the tongue does a somersault to say it. It just sounds cool. It also means literally one who walks on tiptoes from the Greek, akros bartos. It has 11 animals inside it from cat, bat and rat to cord, a border, orca, uh, to cobra, to uh, um, uh, crab. And then... What does it mean, this idea of being on tippy toes? It really is that perfect um, uh, message for all of us to have our own minds and wits on tippy toes ready to spring because there's something about language and wordplay that makes your mind agile and acrobat really, for me, encompasses it. Oh, that's a good word. Really good. Um, It's not better than shit ashram. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, The book is The Gargantuan Book of Words. It's out through Alan Unwin. We've been talking to its author, David Assel. Thanks so much for coming in. No worries. Thanks, Vin. You're listening to the best bits of the Breakfasters from 3RRR.